You're listening to the Owls AmeriCast, sponsored by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. Special half-year passes now available. Sign up now at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Kieran Lee tussling for it, comes towards New You, on towards Jacob can Murphy. You, can you, can, can he hit it home? He can't! Oh! Jacob Murphy finds a way through! I said the Wednesday fans would go delirious if we could win it now! And we've just put ourselves in front! Six, Six minutes of stoppage time. Can't believe that! Six minutes of stoppage time. Up towards Lucas Schwau, it's over his head. New You could be in here. He's out to New You to win it for Wednesday! When Marky Murphy is hard and the score is low and your headers went high and your keeper guessed low you're not changing your ways you concede a bad goal Leeds, Leeds are falling apart again Leeds Leaves are falling apart again. Why is your finishing so cold? Bamford's fallen on his side. Is the squad that flawed? Ideas run so dry. Yet there's still this result that we've kept through our lives. Leads, leads are falling apart again. Leads, leads are falling apart again. Another big lump of a podcast here on Alice AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. This week, uh, I'm down to the dregs of my fridge. I haven't bought beer in a while. And I already had a really large margarita, so I decided that finishing off the last of my spot and optimators at 8% from when I made chili in November was not in my best interest. But in there about as long has been a Hollows and Fentimans alcoholic ginger beer. And I do like Fentimans ginger beer, and this tastes mostly like Fentimans ginger beer, so I can't really complain. I don't think there'll be much complaining on this show, but let's check with our co-hosts. First, in New Jersey, it's Patty A. Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeffrey. Um, I'm still on my 25-book chuck, as you nicely uh, named it last week. Um... And it might have got better in the last week. Maybe it has uh, finally aged. <laughs> well, you got to like uh, decant it a little bit, get some oxygen flowing into the bottle, and yeah, yeah, it's that fancy wine. More drinkable uh, this week in my Pinot Grigio. I'm guessing not drinking Pinot Grigio in Ohio. It's our Ohio L, Evan Skelter. Evan, what are you drinking? Yeah, a little harder than that tonight, Jeff. It's uh, Weller Special Reserve Ooh, good bourbon choice. for me tonight. The original weeded bourbon whiskey. Um, very smooth. It's nice. It's got, uh, obviously, wheat for rye grain. It's 90 proof. Um, it's, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful bourbon. On the agenda today for episode 89, we review the Leeds game. We have an interview with an American owl and uh, author of a soccer-related book, David Roberts. We'll handle the Wednesday news and preview the upcoming Blackburn game. But we start with uh, 90 minutes and 90 seconds. Sheffield Wednesday 2 leads nil. Wednesday started in a 4-5-1 with Winnell up front, attempted to play out from the back for the most part. Didn't go great as leads overwhelmed them in midfield and were just a bit tidier in possession. 
Once they didn't press much and invited them in, but generally defended well enough, they rode their luck here and there, as Leeds had a goal disallowed for offside in the buildup, and Cameron Dawson was called into action now and again. So you could argue that Wednesday were a little lucky to go into halftime at nil-nil, but to be fair, Leeds finishing was fairly atrocious. The second half started with a little more verve, but Leeds grew back into the game. It was mostly more of the same until the 69th minute, when Sam Winnell exited for Addie Newhue. Wednesday were suddenly able to win downfield balls and string a bit of threat together. Nonetheless, it looked like Wednesday were content for another nil-nil against their West Yorkshire rivals. A nice bit of interplay from Kieran Lee and Nuihu, followed by a perfectly weighted pass from the Kosovan striker, had Murphy in one-on-one. It was a tough angle, so tough, that Patty Jones, standing next to me at the football factory, said <laughs> he can't score from there. <laughs> he could, with an assist from some ponderous goalkeeping from Casilla, but a goal is a goal. Now hold on to your butts. But apparently Leeds didn't get the memo that a Wednesday collapse late with a lead if you apply even a bit of pressure. They lacked a bit of urgency and Wednesday were able to pick them off as a bad pass found Bannon who sent a Hollywood ball into the box for an onrushing reach. A cutback to big lump Eddie Newhue who had somehow slipped Leeds back line and 2-0 to the Wednesday boys and back in a playoff spot. That is your Leeds recap. <laughs> now our talking points. Patty, you want to talk about Gary Monk and tactics. Uh, what a feeling though. Eh? Let's, let's talk about the feeling for a little bit first uh, because that was... Uh, pure emotion um uh i don't think i've seen uh, limbs like it in the football factory for some time there's about i think it was 11 of us there in, in total saturday very few Leeds fans uh, around and we certainly I, just not so after the 94th minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was even though we played so well in the second half and we did contain them and we did look better going forward uh it's still when murphy broke free i mean i stand by it most wednesday would probably say the same thing it didn't look like he could score it was, it was against the best goalkeeper in the league and it was a terrible angle and he just absolutely belted it and it was that because it was so late in the game it was against leeds because it was jacob murphy who i've been slagging off most of the matches <laughs> most of the season <laughs> it was so unexpected and uh, such a great finish that I, I think i jumped about six foot in the air and started just like hammering people around with me on the back and fist pumping and yeah, lots of uh, limbs in the air. It was unbelievable in the football factory. Uh, and then we got nervy again for five, six minutes. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Thinking we're going to throw it away. And then uh, again, scenes again when they just fell to pieces and uh, Bannon really cut them open. Uh, an absolutely beautiful finish from Martin New, who deserves his spot in the EFL team of the week. <laughs> But yeah, I want to talk about Gary Monk for a little bit because um, I feel like we do. Uh, everyone's it's kind of in this period. Let's call it a honeymoon period where most Wednesday fans are giving him uh, a little bit of space, find his find his kind of uh, groove, find his perfect eleven. He hasn't even bought anyone in yet. Uh, he's, he's getting the best out of what he can uh, in the team. He's switched it around after that kind of run of three defeats over Christmas, which I think's been proven to be like a perfect catalyst now and and i think monk uh dropped a few people for brighton uh brought in some youth whether on the bench or whether right back like uh um Azazi. um i just feel like not only did he get the selection right on on saturday he got the game plan right um there's quite a few uh uh concerns about the formation the fact that we uh, had to start with Winnell up front, we went with Urugide, no Hutchinson. Uh, uh, it looked, my concern, I said on Twitter, it was we could be lightweight against a very good Leeds team. Um, I thought Luongo played very well. Um, he doesn't offer the same kind of bite and the tenacity as Hutchinson, but he is very classy and he does bring the ball forward uh, best than Hutch does. Uh, Urugide, uh, absolutely unstoppable uh, i thought he was fantastic and until new year came on he was the man of the match um but yeah the, the game management the substitutions at the right time uh the tactics about the 4-5-1 is a massive call to play uh no hutchinson uh and Urugide against the arguably best team in the league um and it came off uh he managed to get the game well win all Causing problems without actually doing, um, without actually getting any shots on target, he did give them a bit of a headache with his uh, pace and uh, tenacity. And then switching it to New Hugh in the last twenty minutes, um, obviously we know what happened from there on in. 
And uh, I think Gary Monk can take a lot of uh, credit for the way he's brought this team back together after a miserable set of results over Christmas to uh, pioneer two clean sheets and two wins against two very good teams. I th- but I think this Leeds wins better than the Brighton win because Leeds were uh, probably the best team I've seen in that first half to uh, take out their finishing. As far as moving the ball around the midfield and uh, the movement off the ball from their players, they were um, uh, outstanding, I thought. And I was getting very concerned. But um, we just completely, um, uh, after the second half started, we kind of just stopped what they were doing. It was just, it was just very effective. And we kind of started our own nice little passing movements and got growing around our own confidence. So massive hats off uh, to um, to Gary Monk and the players because I thought it was a fantastic uh, all-round display. Yeah, Patty, you made that point perfectly. Um, and, and nothing to add other than just reiterating what you said about your Gahide. Um, you know, two podcasts ago was, was the last one I was on, and and I posed the question to both of you, or you and James, um, what, what does Gary Monk need to do to, to kind of add a little spark and maybe turn things around? I know it's only two matches, but you said, I don't even know what you said. I don't remember what James said, but I know none of us said, let's throw in this young kid who no one's even ever heard of in a, a match. I know it's low risk in an FA Cup match, but in a match where we're playing some pretty stiff competition. And uh, what what a spark he's been. I mean, he his play has been good, but just the, I don't know, the, the aura around him, the the energy around him, I think is, has gone through through the whole club, and that's been really fun to watch. I mean, Wimbledon, I, I, obviously Wimbledon doesn't have an under-23 team, so they either had to sort of put him in the in the main squad or, or cut him loose and chose to cut him loose, but just, I know he had some injury issues there too, but to to get a player of that quality. And I was a little shocked when they started him against Leeds because, you know, blooding a player in like that in the FA cup is, is fairly common for, you know, championship teams and, and premiership teams that especially in the early rounds aren't necessarily prioritizing winning those games. And he performed well, but was fairly limited. And you could just see that like you throw him into the Hornets nest and he responded. Like he had more confidence having that game under his belt. He was, tenacious in defense i know he got turned once and got caught a little upfield for the for the disallowed goal but you know that's going to happen with your right back when they start when they start roaming upfield you know they're not always going to be able to get back in time if the if the team counters quickly and then just some of the runs he made from right back as like as like a 19 year old he's so strong and pacey and He's a center back by trade, but he might also be the first choice right back now. And he's 19. It's just wild. Um, you know, there's been a lot uh, written about him this week. There's a really good piece uh, uh, in The Athletic uh, from Nancy Frostick, sort of digging into how he ended up at Wednesday and, and stuff like that. And he's just, it's a neat little bit of, bit of scouting. I don't even know if it's scouting because he just sort of showed up there on, on a on trial and i'm sure it looked like this pretty much um and it's like we talked about uh, you know this is one of james hobby horses they need to freshen up the squad and and maybe you know send some of the veteran players out i think what this has shown and uh you know dropping hutch and not even bringing him in and bringing pelopesi in instead and uh starting uh Arigati at at right back now for two games in a row I think you are trying to see Bunk put his stamp on the team a little bit. Yeah, as much as he can, right? Because I mean, he can't. He hasn't managed to buy one yet. So he'll probably only get loans available to him. Um, so he's lucky in some respects that he has kind of found this diamond in the rough, which is a rookie day. And you saw, obviously, there was, I think it was Ben Hughes on the bench as well, which is another unheard of name uh, until Saturday, where everyone's going, "Who this Hughes guy?" And it's another kind of uh, kid we we brought up. Um, without a little fanfare at all. Uh, didn't get a game, but um, it just shows that Monk's not scared to uh, to give people a bit of a run. And he's doing it a smart way. I mean, uh, he's not doing a Yoss Lukai way where everyone's <laughs> dropped. <laughs> Suddenly everyone's dropped, uh, upset. And playing he's Ross bringing... Wallace at striker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe Moses or the Bayo might be upset, but I mean, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like he's doing it in the right way. He's bringing people in, um, and if they make an impact, he's keeping them in which keeps the older players on their toes too. 
One person he has brought back into the squad is Cameron Dawson, which leads us to Evan's talking point this week. Yeah, uh, I think Dawson's been getting plenty of credit, um, which is is rightly deserved. I just think it's time to consider consider him one of the best in the in the championship. Uh, did some digging, little uh, po- pulled some stats here. So amongst lead keepers, Dawson has the second lowest goals against average per 90 minutes. He has the third highest clean sheet average, and he's ninth in the league in championship matches. Um, In matches with Dawson, we've won eight, we've drawn three, we've lost three, which means in matches he hasn't played, we've only managed four wins three draws and six losses. Um, and, and this doesn't include the, the FA cup clean sheets against Rotherham and Brighton. So, um, I know this, this is not a hot take by any means, but in my opinion, uh, I'd say Dawson is hand, well, hands down our number one now, but I think he will be for a long time. Uh, talking about it. Well, you have to sign him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, absolutely. And he may be smart to, to hold out and, and uh, get some big money, but, I mean, we're talking about a 24-year-old in a position where players normally peak in their late 20s. Um, we'd be smart to lock him up as long as we could. Just amusing. I was searching for something about him. He's listed as at a six foot four, 152 pounds. <laughs> That's so funny. I was I was talking to my friends today because we were in the gym and and we're talking to our personal trainer and we said to him, "What what is a kind of uh, uh, what's the." target goal target weight to be at if you're six foot four my friend's six foot four i'm six foot two and she said 150 pounds i was like that that's not possible that's not a thing i was like i think my bones might weigh 150 pounds and there's no way i'm getting down to that level <laughs> but he weighs all right fair, fair i mean enough. i'm 150 pounds and i'm not six foot four <laughs> christ almighty so i've got so cameron dawson is my uh, ideal weight i've got to aspire to fantastic <laughs> No, I think it is pretty clear that he's, uh, you know, he's he's won the job. And you know, you watched him last year under under Lukai. He was maybe rushed into being the number one there. Pretty shaky at times. Had some you know good performances. Was obviously a very good uh, shot stopper from the from the jump. But I mean, not confident on set pieces into the box, you know, punching, which you try to catching a little bit indecisive, couldn't always marshal the defense and this sort of, uh, transitions or, you know, I'll, I'll jump off it for my talking point as well, which was the, uh, the Cameron Dawson celebration after the second goal <laughs> went in at the, uh, at the away end, just the commander so, like, role. Yeah. You could like, <laughs> but you could say like, he's, he's very much grown into the, number one keeper role he's a he's a leader on that team now he's a leader on that defense and it's the defense with the second best record in the championship and it's not like by the same token he doesn't have a ton to do because we've watched wednesday's defense this year as well i i mean not just dawson's celebration i loved uh, uh foxy as well they were both pumping the fists and like going nuts and embracing each other you can see uh it's not really a big game though uh <laughs> and they, and I mean, uh, don't let Leeds know about this, but I think we like playing against them. Mm. Um, and you can see that, and obviously in the players' celebrations afterwards. And, and I'm not going to deny him that it was uh, a dramatic game. It was a fantastic result against one of the best teams in the league. So uh, I loved watching Dawson and, and, and Fox. And uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Lee Bullen tweet about um, the dugout and uh, Nicky Weaver's. Uh, <laughs> stumble, <laughs> which apparently he was uh, trying to bring more attention to because he wasn't uh, <laughs> he wasn't getting the uh, attention he wanted to. So uh, there's, a, there's a one camera angle which shows the entire dugout come out for a second goal, and then you see Nicky Weaver just crawling on his hands and knees because he fell over. Uh, it's so like yeah, the, what's it? Oh, I forget which late goal. I don't know if it's the McGuire goal against Barnsley or something where like Kieran Lee tries to do like a slide into the pile and just ends up face planting. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. Before we move on from the match and and get to our interview, want to uh, just mention uh, Leeds center half Ben White's comments this week. Uh, <laughs> point out Brighton Loney too. So not having a great week when it comes to Sheffield Wednesday. The Whites failed to raise their game against SWFC on Saturday, partly because the match wasn't against a big side. 
You wonder why Lee doesn't get promoted every year. It's because they can't beat big sides, apparently, Patty. Yeah. All those big sides, yeah. Um, what a, what a terrible excuse that is. I mean, that if, if also Eddie Yeltsin, knew he was a big lump. Well, he sure managed to slip you. <laughs> it was his pass that he kind of went straight in for the Bad, first goal, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's obviously not had a good game. and Has got a bit salty. Uh, but if, if 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 one of my players is saying that they can't raise their game unless they're a big side, I'd have massive words if I was the manager. I'm sure Bielsa's not gonna like those comments. Sure. Also, mate. You play for Brighton. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't play for Brighton is yeah, the problem. That's the other problem. Like, <laughs> imagine watching that game last week against uh, Wednesday in the FA Cup and like, I can't get into the squad. Maybe just keep your mouth shut after the game. But we will soldier on. After a break, we will talk with David Roberts about how he became a Wednesdayite and his new book about Austrian football legend, Matthias Schindler. Our Cascadia Owls continue to grow. This week we are joined by a Tacoma, Washington Owl, David Roberts. David, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Um, almost accidentally, actually. Um, so I really discovered soccer as a professional sport when I was about 14 years old, when, uh, the world cup was here in the States. And, um, it wasn't until about maybe 10 years ago, uh, that I decided I'm going to start paying attention to world soccer because MLS just isn't enough for me anymore. And I had a close friend who, uh, was, is a, uh, pretty big Hotspur fan. And so I said, well, okay, therefore I am a Tottenham fan as well. Uh, but there was always this strange, unexplainable disconnect that I felt between myself and, and Tottenham. Um, there, I, I don't know how to describe it other than I just never really felt connected to them. And uh, then, uh, you know, just one day I'm poking around online and I'm trying to learn a little bit more about... Uh, the English pyramid and and whatnot, and I see that there's this team called Sheffield Wednesday, and I said, okay, I need to click on this team to see if uh, you know what's going on here, and I thought the logo was really cool. I thought the uniforms were awesome, and the more I I you know was clicking on YouTube videos of like you know Wednesday highlights and whatnot, I'm like, this is my team. This is a team that I can get behind. This is a team that I'm going to enjoy supporting. That was a mistake. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, before that, the only connection I had to Sheffield would be, you know, Def Leppard. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it before. They're blades, aren't I, they, too? Uh, unfortunately. Nobody's perfect. And they also haven't been relevant since 89. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I just, I just always, uh, it, across the spectrum of, of not just soccer fandom, but, you know, other teams that I get behind, too, I'm always more inclined to go with the team that goes down swinging that doesn't look like they're just laying down that uh also doesn't buy their way to championships um you know just you know we'll just throw the bank at all the bet uh, the 11th best players and forget about the rest and hope we can sell some merchandise i want to be a fan of teams that you know make me feel like uh me as a supporter that i'm part of a community that they represent the community, and I'm really going to enjoy and being proud uh, wearing their stuff on my chest and waving their flags in front of my house. That's awesome, David. And it's, it's, I love, again, even like the minute details around people's attraction to the club. So it's just like, oh, the, the uniform appealed to me, to me the, um, the uh, logo, and that was like, and then you got to watch them and you saw their history, and then they slowly kind of, it's, it's what, it's not a one-size-fits-all for like a lot of our Wednesday American fans. It's kind of like what what resonates with me as a person is I want what I want in a team too. I feel like our American fans are much more kind of like uh, like that compared to I'm going to support Man United because they won those trophies. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, there's plenty of fans like that too across the across the spectrum. You know? Yeah, I mean you need a better reason than that for to find Wednesday anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got that as an excuse. The important That's question awesome. is, which logo was it? Was it the new one or the uh, old one? Uh, the, the, the old one, the All original. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you say uh, you got However, I, I really do like the modern one, the modern-looking one, too, the one they had in the uh, you know, 70s and 80s. 
That's the screensaver on my phone, actually. <laughs> and what's um, the soccer uh, like in where you are? So I forgot. Is it Wakoma? You say Tacoma. Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, Tacoma. Yeah. So uh, this is this is Sounders country, um, and I'm an original. I'm a. I grew up in New York. Um, so, um, I, 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 when it comes to MLS, I, I support NYCFC, um, oh, even gosh. though I know, man- <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm not going to root for an energy drink, uh, <laughs> but you know, this is, uh, this I is Sounders like country up here. I liked you for a while. <laughs> it's okay. Like I said, nobody's perfect, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so. So yeah, this is Sounders country. the The Sounders are just huge here. It's you can't even uh, you can't even you know cross the street without seeing somebody in in rave green. Uh, and here in Tacoma, their their second team uh, called the Tacoma Defiance plays here. Uh, the the Seattle Rain, the women's team, uh, is playing here in Tacoma as well. Um, and there's uh, you know just throw a, throw a rock and you will find an amateur team here as well. That's great. So there's a lot of rich history in that area. Obviously, the Sounders have a ma- yeah. massive impact uh, on both grassroots and obviously the fans around that area. So uh, how far from Seattle are you? Uh, 35 miles. All right. Okay. So my geography is terrible. I think um, I, I'm kind of like the ignorant Englishman on this, the Voiceless podcast. So uh, <laughs> I ask those stupid questions like that. Uh, so um, we got you on also because you, you got in touch with us about, um, first of all, following Owls Americas and, and Wednesday. Yeah. But um, what's what really interesting too is that you just published a novel uh, yeah, about right. an Austrian soccer player during the 1930s, um, which it sounds fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book and, and kind of what drawn you to that story? Yeah, sure. So the book is a, it's called The Paper Man, published by Blue Forge Press. It's uh, available for sale on Amazon and Kindle uh, right now. Uh, and, or you can go to my website and I'll send you the link too if you want an autographed copy. Um, and uh, it is about a man named Matthias Schindelar, who uh, during his generation, he was uh, the world's greatest soccer player. Uh, and he was Austrian. He played for Austria Vienna, and the Austrian national team represented them in the 1934 World Cup. Uh, and uh, shortly after Hitler took over Austria and absorbed Austria into Germany uh, in 1938, a few months later, he died under mysterious circumstances. Uh, he and his fiancée uh, were found dead in, in their apartment. And uh, the cause of that death is still questioned to this day. And my novel is a fictionalization of those last days as well as the weeks uh, right after his death. Because under Nazi law, uh, if you died uh, by suicide, if it was ruled that you died because of suicide, you were not allowed to have a funeral. And uh, the original cause of death uh, on the death certificate was suicide. And then a week or two later, uh, the death certificate was changed to accidental. And what happened was his team got together and uh, got the coroner to change the death certificate uh, to read accidental, just so they could have a, uh, just so they could give a funeral uh, uh, to Matthias, and it's no secret that Matthias was uh, very anti-Nazi. Uh, in fact, um, the month after the Anschluss, when when Austria and Germany came together, Hitler organized a soccer match that was going to be between the German national team and the Austrian national team, and that was going to be the last ever game for Austria. And then immediately after that, the Austrians and the Germans would uh, play together as one team. Now, that match was supposed to end in a 0-0 tie, nil-nil tie. And in the 70th minute, Matthias just said, nah, I don't care what Hitler wants. I'm going to score this goal. Two minutes after that, one of his teammates, Carl Sesto, scored a second goal, ensuring an Austrian victory. And Hitler was utterly humiliated. And so this book is a... This book is a thank you. This book is a uh, fictionalization and exploration into what uh, what I think probably happened, uh, and I hope that it encourages uh, some more people to look into uh, this era of history. So it's interesting to me. Uh, you know, I write about baseball, and that's a sport where it's very much sort of constantly connected to the past as like a point of reference. Um, I, I don't get that same feeling from soccer. Like I couldn't tell you the best Sheffield Wednesday players of the 1930s. There's almost obviously no, uh, you know, sort of video 
existent from that era. You'll occasionally see like you know eight millimeter reels of FA Cup finals and stuff like that. But even like sort sort of more broadly, like throughout soccer history, you don't have that connection with really players before maybe like Pele, for example. Yeah, I was actually just thinking uh, the same thing in in many ways. Uh, I kind of think this might be a failure of FIFA in a way where, um, and and to be honest with you, the more I think about it, the more, um, and, and there are some soccer historians who can uh, answer this question better than I, but in many ways, I kind of feel in some ways they're kind of embarrassed of their, of their history before 1950. Um, because um, the 1934 World Cup, uh, which was held in Italy and was won by Italy, everyone pretty much knows that Mussolini had that World Cup fixed. Uh, for Italy's favor. And in many regards, it's almost like they're, they want to just kind of ignore that, uh, anything that happened before 1950, and let's just move on from, you know, the 1950 World Cup and on, and Pele will be our Babe Ruth. <laughs> it's kind of happening now with the, the Premier League too, actually. It's like all history and stats start when the Premier League was formed. And if you look Looking at a Premier League broadcast, they won't usually mention what happened before the Premier League is in the old Division One. They're rewriting history with their own branding on it, um, right. and obviously that's much more recent memory as well. Obviously, we, most of us have been alive uh, before the Premier League existed, so we know about our players before that happened too. But like I said, once we start losing, once we stop having that video footage, you know, they have audio footage. It's all about preserving the memory of some of these players, like Sindelar, who led like extraordinary lives. Uh, and were adored by his uh, fans at the time in, in, in his nation. Uh, I was reading a little bit of research before I spoke to you, David, um, and they were saying that he got voted the uh, best Austrian footballer 20th century. Um, yeah. uh, it was best sportsman uh, a century before that, too. So He was David Beckham of the 1920s and 30s Yeah, in, got, in Central Europe. It was called the Mozart of football, which I love. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the paper man, which is where the uh, title comes from. Yeah. So, so how does someone from New York and Tacoma uh, come across this story and decide, oh my gosh, this is great, I'm going to write an entire book about this? Uh, sure. So uh, it basically what, what happened was I uh, was kind of bored one afternoon and I went onto YouTube and I typed in history of soccer documentaries and uh, this was one of them that came up and this was several, several years ago. And um, the story just fascinated me. It, it, it literally, I literally got goosebumps on the back of my neck when I, when I, when I heard uh, the story about him. And I, just, I literally just said, this is a story and I want to write it. And uh, then from there, I uh, went to my library and I found as many books as I could about um, uh, the Anschluss, as many books as I could about the uh, history of soccer. And I um, exhausted Google looking for um, articles and stories about him. And had you written a book before this, David? No, this is my first book. I, I uh, do I do have my training as a journalist, though. <clears throat> I do have my training as a journalist, and I worked in uh, news uh, for a long time. Um, but no, this is my first book. Awesome. Um. I wanted to, uh, so while we were in this uh, middle of the book and the Wednesday kind of questions, mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I thought, I was trying to look up kind of like connections to Sheffield Wednesday in Austria. So uh, there's a question I have, which I think no one, no one will get both the answers to this question unless you Google it already. But we have two uh, connections to Sheffield Wednesday with the people that have played for the Austrian national team at some level. So I'm going to open that up. There's two, t- two players. Uh, both, I would say... Uh, in the last 25, 30 years, so you don't have to go too far back, uh, I've played for the Austrian national team. Uh, I'll give you one point for one of them, and I'll give you 100 points for the other one. <laughs> well, I obviously already guessed that one of them before we came on air because uh, Eddie knew he was an Austrian youth side player. He was. One of his uh, many nationalities <laughs> he could have chosen, he went for Austria first, yes. And obviously now he moved to Kosovo. Um, there is one other player we had. This is this a full uh, cap or three, three, it paid three appearances. Okay. I'm pretty sure they were mainly substitute appearances. Um, full, full cap. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but he had many caps for the Austrian national team. Only three appearances for Wednesday. Only three for Wednesday, Jeez. yes. Um, have any of you got any idea? No, sorry. I, d- I can, don't. Can you give us a decade? Yeah, I can give you the year. You're, you're getting close to it. It's uh, 1998. <laughs> oh, God, that's not a... Uh... I think he was a Danny Wilson signing. Yeah, it sounds about right. No, I don't. I, I got nothing. It was during the period where we were signing people like uh, Ola Tidman and yeah. uh, uh, Gerald Sabon and all these strange Scandinavian and like uh, Eastern European players, and they might get a few games here and there, and generally be, be bad players. But I even I can't remember uh, this guy. Um, uh, I've I've dragged it long enough. I'm sure people at home listening will either know or they won't know. Uh, the guy is called Christian Merleb. And we signed him. He's a striker. We signed him from uh, a, t- a team called Innsbruck, or it's FC 12 Innsbruck. Uh, and he scored 17 goals for them the previous uh, uh, season. He came up to us in the beginning of June of 98, and he left five months later after um, playing three appearances. Then we went back to uh, Austria to play for Vienna and became, again, the top goal scorer in Austria. So book, bookmarked either side of his Wednesday career, he was top goal scorers, and then came to Wednesday, was rubbish. I mean, it doesn't sound that familiar, does it? It's, it seems a familiar story, if not a familiar player. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was our uh, Austrian connection. Uh, I thought we'd just throw that in there. If anyone did get that before I mentioned it, please let us know on uh, uh, Twitter and obviously be honest. I don't know point cheating in this podcast because uh, I'd yeah. be amazed if you remember that guy because uh, I actually found an Owl's Talk thread on him too and no one remembered him on Owl's Talk either. <laughs> so much for knowing your history, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, David, um, Thoughts. Let's go back to what happened Wednesday, and thoughts on the current season at Wednesday. It's been a little bit, a bit of a roller coaster with the different managers coming in and going. Yeah. Um, obviously, the EFL point deduction hanging over our heads. But on the field, uh, have you liked what you've seen? Um, for the most part, yeah, I, I, it's going to be a yes in lowercase letters because uh, it's uh, there. There have been many, many heartbreaks and many frustrations. Um, and, uh, in, uh, some regards, you know, I, I think there, there's this thing on Twitter that you always see. It's like, you know, uh, this is a very Wednesday performance where it's like, they, they look like they're going to pull it off. And then in the end, they just can't. Um, but they are still surviving. Uh, I think, uh, last time I checked, I think they're in sixth place right now. Uh, and, uh, yes, so, you know, playoff spot at the moment. Yeah, so you know, it it's not like all hope is gone, but uh, it's it's inconsistent. Yeah, I, I think uh, what's helping us at the moment is the championship itself is inconsistent. So um, uh, I'm I'm buoyed by the last couple of results, um, but it's hard to get uh, too carried away when you've got this EFL deduction hanging over your head. Oh yeah, there's that as well, which is <laughs> just fascinating and probably going to be a book at some point. <laughs> Like I said, just keep uh, expectations low. That's what I've been saying all year. They'll uh, <laughs> somehow. Well, the only expectation the I have right now is that you know I can sell enough books to be able to afford an iFollow subscription. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, any more? Have you got any more ideas for follow up of the book, David? Are you going to stick around the same in, like soccer stuff, or are you can go anywhere you want with this? Uh, well, the next book I'm going to be working on is going to be soccer related. Um, and it's actually going to be based on a story that I, I discovered while I was writing this one, uh, while I was writing the Schindler book, while I was writing the paper man. Um, and I hope to have that, a first draft of that one done, uh, by the spring. Uh, and then I'm going to, you know, spend a good chunk of time editing it as well. Um, but I don't think I'm going to just write about, um, soccer. I don't think all of my books are going to be soccer related. Uh, but they are going to be in some way, shape, or form uh, related to uh, historical events, not just Hitler and World War II. But that's good. Yeah, uh, I wish you all the best with it. It's, it sounds great. I'm gonna, um, I'll get you details out. I'll get details on, on, online already, and I'll definitely love a uh, a copy of uh, that book. Um, I'm going to marry tomorrow, so I'd need some more reading material. But I think it'd be too uh, short notice for that one. Uh, well, but, if you, you have know. a Kindle, it's on Kindle. <laughs> oh yes, that's a good idea. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, well, um, guys, any more questions for you guys? I don't think we wrap up otherwise. 
Yeah, I think just uh, one more time, tell us where we can find the book, where we can find you uh, on socials and, and such. Yeah, so the the book is available on Amazon and Kindle. It's called The Paper Man. Just do a search for The Paper Man, David James Roberts, and uh, it, it should show up for you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter on uh, Dave Roberts VO or Instagram at Dave Roberts VO. Great. And, and the VO because I'm also a voice actor. So that, there's that too. <laughs> a man of many talents. Uh, we'll also share the link on our Twitter and Facebook to David. So kind of direct link to the paper man on, uh, on Amazon. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading that. So uh, thanks so much for joining us and hopefully we can stay in touch uh, over the months ahead. And uh, maybe one day you'll get to a Cascadia Owls meetup as well. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe they can have it up here instead of Portland. It'd be easier for me to get to. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit further away. Now it's time for some Wednesday news. And after Patty and I speculated last week that even if it's Stephen Fletcher probably shouldn't start against Leeds, he did not start against Leeds because he'll be out eight to 10 weeks. Uh, this is not ideal. As we saw probably in the first half of the Leeds game when playing Sam Winnell up front. So what should Wednesday do for a striker, Evan? Yeah, it sounds like we're working on a few things. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll get some of that transfer news later on, but, uh, you know, Connor Wickham is a Wednesday hero. Um, do you think they if, should go? So you think he should stay. go externally? You don't think there's an internal option at this point? Well, I mean, we can try any combination we want, and I think we've probably tried just about all of them <laughs> yeah. at this point. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if we're talking about what's in the squad now, um, it, you know, I'm everyone knows that that listens often that I'm no, I'm far from an analyst, but um, you, you know, we're probably talking. I forget it. I'm not even gonna try. I don't. I don't know what Monk should do for the internal. But yeah, um, Preslav Borikov. Hey, I'm I'm all for trying it, and I've seen a few shouts for him. Um, I, I think the problem is we we're, we've gone through some tough competition, and obviously being at six, it's tough to uh, to try him out. But maybe the next FA Cup match, he becomes the next uh, Yogahidi, and now we've got two young players that no one's ever heard of except for Jeff. <laughs> It sounds like Ben Hughes by ahead of him. We think he's a striker, Ben Hughes. I thought he was a winger, uh, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think it changes our entire transfer strategy, right? Because uh, previously we were probably looking for a partner to Fletcher. Now we're looking for a replacement to Fletcher. So where I think, uh, I said last week, that obviously Nikitaia was one of my favorites to partner Fletcher. We now need someone that's more of a target man than a goal poacher, which I think Nikitaia is and a fast player that would play off someone's shoulder which is, I think, is why we've switched our attention to Connor Wickham. Um, and, <laughs> again, I think last week I said that we've got his fantasy uh, because I thought he played for Palace and he was on the sub-bench last week too. I mean, just, they uh, just got Sanctosin from Everton too, so... Right, so that comes in our favour and the rumours have started to kind of swell some more and I, I think he's obviously not fantasy anymore. There's a lot of good people that tend to get a lot of things right saying that we're in for him. So um, I'm hoping now we can get that over the line. Oh, um, he's my preferred choice, but the other we're good in transfer rooms now. We might as well, aren't we? Um, the uh, other ones linked this week. I think we've been linked with just about every single Premier League striker that's available for loan. Um, Andre Grape cropped up in the last 24 hours, uh, and he, he obviously has got great uh, uh, history in both the Championship and to some extent in the Premier League. Um, so and also good strong target man. Uh, Dwight Gale was rumored today, but I feel like he's. Um, All I remember rumored. from Dwight Gale is just falling over a lot when he played for Newcastle. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, Gale can play up front on his own, but yeah. I feel like we need someone more like the Wickham and Gray mo- uh, model. Like, uh, obviously, I'm not going to sniff or turn my nose up, but Dwight Gale is a, is a proven goal scorer. Mm-hmm. But um, the rumors about Newcastle wanting someone to pay for him at the end of this stint does not fit with what our yeah, <laughs> EFL yeah. model is. <laughs> So I think it's probably more likely to go something like Wickham or Gray if we can get either one alone. Uh, and for me, it's looking more like Connor is realistic than Andre Gray. But what a fucking gutting thing is about Fletcher. It, it was on 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 course to be. Uh, it could have made twenty goals this season. Mm-hmm. That the form he was in uh, for the first time in his career, uh, and what an absolute 
gutting shame for him to miss uh, two to three months uh, because of this injury. You say we need another striker, Patty, but uh, how many strikers can make the EFL team of the week with 20 minutes of game action? Like Patty <laughs> knew he did. <laughs> but everyone's talking earlier on about how, what we do go forward about the, our current, using our current squad. The only thing I think of was the same tactics against Leeds. Keep it nil-nil to like 70 minutes <laughs> and then bring Atium. Because obviously we've played Atium from the start previously. It doesn't work. He yeah. doesn't, he's got 90 minutes in him. But the 20 minutes and even the last 10 minutes in some cases, that's at his period, right? That's when we can, he can uh, make an impact. So unless we find someone to fill that first 70 minutes, the score a goal maybe to take the pressure off Atium in the last 20 minutes, um, I think we're going to struggle without getting another, another face into the team. Another transfer news, Ash Baker heading out to Newport County. Yeah, hot okay. Take, hot See ya. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there wasn't game time a, for him here, bit, obviously. So. Yeah, it's a bit interesting to me to see him go for good for a sale rather than just loan um yeah he's a young player that i think had some upside had some potential and especially for a team like us that kind of needs a rebuild it was interesting to see a young guy sold rather than uh someone older but um you know at this point we have to trust monk and, and trust the staff that uh you know they didn't they didn't see value in baker going forward and hopefully some of that money's used wisely here to bring somebody in in January. Also, also possibly heading out is Jordan Rose as the list keeps growing of interesting clubs. We can add Wigan and Blackburn Rovers this week. Yeah. Why not? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, you got to love um, the January transfer window. I feel like Rose's agent must be the busiest agent <laughs> every January. Especially <laughs> for the last three or four years. Um, if all these rumors are true, the people that uh, want to take Rhodes, um, then he must, his phone must be ringing off the hook. And for me, I, I spoke last week about how he was linked with Celtic. Uh, and I feel like I'd prefer him to go to Celtic from a personal point of view as not want him in the same league as us. Um, and I think that the Scottish League might be the place where he regains his confidence. Um, I don't know how Celtic play. Hopefully it's to his strengths. Um, Norwich was the other one, wasn't it, that was linked last week. It's, it's such a bizarre range of teams that are, are uh, interested in him. So um, for me... I would try and cash in uh, while we can if we get any cash from this point. Uh, and I think obviously Norwich and Norwich and Celtic are the ones with the, the biggest books out of those four. So uh, hopefully he goes to one of those two. I should issue a correction from last week. I said he was out of contract in the summer because I thought he was out of contract in the summer. But he's actually on the books for another year. So he couldn't get some cash from him. Yeah. Probably not a lot. No, Definitely not, not $8 million. In other transfer news of sort... Uh, friend of the pod, James O'Connor has a new job in your neck of the woods, Evan. Yeah, O'Connor's back in Louisville, uh, which is really cool because you know he won back-to-back um, USL titles at Louisville. Uh, actually, he he only won one, I think, and the other guy won two. But anyway, uh, great track record at Louisville. Fans really loved him. Um, they're all set with with a coach who actually was the the replacement for O'Connor. Um, John Hackworth is his name. So James is going to be brought in and he's going to work with the the women's team, the NWSL team in Louisville, as well as develop the uh, the academy, which in the United States kind of works as a, a minor league team of sorts for Louisville City's senior team. So they have, I believe it's called USL League Two, um, which... There are three USL divisions now. Louisville is in the USL Championship, and then there's USL League One, USL League Two. Uh, guess who that is uh, taken from? Um, and so, yeah, he'll he'll help manage the USL League Two side in, in the Louisville Academy. So, uh, pretty cool job for him. I know he's he's very uh, very well liked in that um, in that organization. Now it is time to preview Blackburn at home. 
Wednesday return to Hillsboro, back in a playoff spot, facing another mid-table team. Easy peasy, right, Patty? Easy peasy or potential banana skin? Um, I think we've got to look at everything as a potential banana skin. Um, you, you'd hope this would be a three-pointer, right? Um, but you never can tell with the championship. Um for me, Blackburn, uh, the epitome of a mid-table team. Uh, they haven't got any money to spend. They get a lot of draws. They spend it all uh, on Lucas Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not this year. Um, they can get results against good teams. Uh, they got our number last time around, which surely doesn't seem that long ago, does it? It's weird how it's, it's come around so fast. Um, but also, they'll... Um, They'll lose to teams they expect to win. It's uh, a weird season in Blackburn, but I think they're just happy to uh, to consolidate this season in the championship. Um, I spoke to my friend who's a Blackburn fan that we had him last time around. He seems to think that they're not going to do much business this January, so I can't see them improving the squad by the time we play them. Uh, so for me, it needs to be played the same intensity as the last two games. Um, I don't know whether I'd go back with a four-five-one or four-four-two, guys. What do you? What would you prefer? I think lineup-wise for this game. I mean, my main concern is they win, so you don't get trolled on indie wrestling broadcasts again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's explain that one. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, we were drinking after the Leeds game. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, Jeff went to an indie wrestling show in Asbury Park, New Jersey. My friend knows the people that run that and commented on it. And I was watching drunkenly on my laptop at home, watching Jeff in the crowd. And my friend was texting me. The next thing I know, I'm being called out on the commentary <laughs> of some bizarre uh, GCW wrestling show that uh, Sheffield Wednesday will never be as good as Blackburn Rovers uh, and say hi to Paddy Jones, which was uh, pretty strange. <laughs> I was, I was some kind of weird kind of a drunken dream I was having because it had been a long day out celebrating the Leeds game. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, I think I'd probably stick with the four five one because like, I, who are going to be the two up front? You could try New Hugh and Rhodes again, but we've seen that pairing and doesn't really work. Same for New Hugh and Winnell. Four five one. You know, I I might. I guess you can't drop Murphy after that performance, but I'd like to see Kadeem Harris. Uh, back on the left, so I think you can get to Blackburn. I don't know. We signed Connor Wickham by Saturday, <laughs> maybe. Uh... Well, Munkaz said he wants to try and get someone in before the weekend, so yeah. could happen. Ev, what would you prefer us to start yeah. with? But... Yeah, probably a four-four-two. Uh, Blackburn. Blackburn have given up a lot of goals actually lately um two against huddersfield two against four or three against forest two against birmingham one against preston um so yeah i'd like to see us go for it whatever that means um i i prefer two strikers in the middle against a team that um is giving up goals at a high clip but um either way i, I just hope we pressure high and and uh attack often for me I think I would go with an unchanged side. Um, keep it as it is, unless we sign another striker. Um, but m- maybe give it a bit more license to the long going Kieran Lee to get involved further up the field in the first half. There wouldn't be, there won't be that pressure that we had from Leeds uh, that we had to soak up. Um, and at home, you'd hope it would be a bit more free. Uh, We've tried to play some good football in that kind of model. You mentioned back in the 1990s, Jeff, earlier about trying to play from the back and how it was so it was so horrendous and scary at times in Leeds because Dominic Ayoffa did not look comfortable at all. Um, and we were looking in some respects to get away with that. Um, I think knock that on the head. Um, but we need to find a nice in-between point between lump, lumping it from defence to just playing something direct to a creative midfielder and then let them carry it like Luongo does and Kieran Lee does. Um, so I, I'm going to stay, stick with the 4-5-1, start win all, uh, and then um, maybe bring new you on towards the end. So I'd like to to mention just kind of that if you, if you take a look at Blackburn's record throughout, throughout the whole season, they're honestly a team that epitomizes like a championship season. So they went on a run from September on where they uh, lost four, drew two, uh, didn't win any. 
And then from there, they went on a run where they won six, drew three, lost one. And then in their last four, they've lost three and drawn one. It's just they're they're the epitome, like I said, the, the epitome of of the championship roller coaster. Uh, they're, they're on a rough run right now, so hopefully we catch them. I know they've been like a fancy Premier League side off and on, but it just feels like they've been in the championship for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> they've been more recent than we have, yeah. I know. Um, I'll talk about runs. I wanted to look at. I looked ahead at our fixture list because um, it's very strange. Um, we play a lot of. I'm going to put in quotation marks. Easy teams coming up, right? So we've got Blackburn, uh, Wigan, Millwall. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's uh, a, beat, a winning ball game. Barnsley, Luton, Reading are on a good form. That's a month away. That game. Uh, Birmingham, Charlton, Derby to some extent. Time to continue. That's a lot of. It's like eight or nine uh, games in a row against uh, teams. Uh, below us in the league and that takes us up almost a de- exactly to the end of February and beginning of March now you might uh, predict what's happening next because in March, April and May we play just about every single playoff team or team around us uh, consistently throughout those months and it's there's very few easy games in the run up at the end of our season so the next month for me uh, February is crucial uh, to win against these teams that uh, aren't as good I know we tend to play up to our opposition sometimes. I'm not saying all is lost if we don't come out of this uh, run um, with uh, some good point haulage. But, man, uh, it's such a strange way the fixtures have fallen in this weird kind of like uh, black and white manner where we play a a whole host of lower league teams and a whole host of upper league teams. I mean, the table could be turned on its head by then anyway since there's like six points between fourth (laughs) and 15th, so... The glory of the championship. I will just point out that if you want to uh, look at a potential interesting part of the schedule, we do uh, finish the year with Middlesbrough, who's been a bit of a... uh, It's not the side you want to finish with if you're in a, a tight playoff race, I feel like. I think they'll they'll do. Obviously, they're in a bit of a run at the moment. They're scoring for fun, and uh, uh, they're good. Uh, they've got a lot of good youth players, mm-hmm. but uh, I think towards the end of the season, youth players get tired. I'm hoping that they burn out before we play them. And also, it's one of those things they're still in the middle of the table. They'll probably be on the beach anyway. Definitely. Assuming we haven't got a 21 point deduction by then, and are fighting just to stay up. We'll all be on the beach. The glories of the championship. Ah. <laughs> uh, we may not, we may or may not be on the beach, but we will definitely be in New Orleans in oh, about six weeks now. Patty, do we have an update on the national meetup? Uh, yeah, we we put an agenda together now. We and Jamie, it's it's coming together. It's uh, awesome. We've been in touch. I've been in, <laughs> I've been sending a, a couple of drunken texts to uh, famous Sugar Wednesday players that may or may not be be based in America. <laughs> uh, if that works, then uh, we'll celebrate that. If not, we'll be celebrating with a bunch of great Wednesday fans. Uh, we are confirming the crawfish boil that we mentioned last time. Uh, there's talk uh, of an appetite around maybe doing a live podcast. Um, pre-drinks on the Friday night is sorted uh, pool party um, uh, is kind of maybe on the on the cards too we'll, we'll see what happens it's going to be a fun one um, again if, you have, if you're new to this we're doing a national meetup uh, in New Orleans on the February 29th for the Derby County game on iFollow um, details on our website on owlsamericas.com and if you want to watch Wednesday play this week home to Blackburn Patty where are our meetups for that? You can um, go to New York. I won't be there. Uh, the Blackburn Rovers fans will be. They will have the match on. Um, and I'm sure a few of our group will be turning up in two. Um, you can go to Finn McCool's in New Orleans. And you can go to the main view in in North Manchester, Indiana. Um, I'm in Miami this weekend uh, on vacation. Um, if there's a good sports bar people know of that I could possibly get to watch the game at 10 o'clock in the morning Saturday, uh, then give us a shout. I think uh, I think they're actually going to meet up in Tampa, which uh, <laughs> I, I'll actually purchase you the Uber to get you up there. Uh, Tampa's a bit far away, but um, I appreciate the invite. I haven't gotten the invite, by the way, but I appreciate your invite. <laughs> you can go there. 
You've been listening to episode 89 of the Owls AmeriCast, brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's I Follow Live Match streaming service. Sign up at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast, Intro in the Bumpers, are my fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. But wherever you choose to consume the Owls AmeriCast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Patty is on Twitter, at Patty A. Jones, and at New York Owls. Patty, I don't have any interesting questions this week, probably because I'm absolutely sleep-deprived and I've had a lot to drink. So I'm just going to move on and say that Evan is on Twitter, (laughs) and I'm on Twitter, at Jeff Federnostro. And we'll see you back here next week.